very, very pleased to be joined by Dr. Amara Enya and Montague Simmons. The Biden administration is approaching its halfway mark this month. In our final segment of this show, we are joined by my two comrades who are going to share their insight regarding a review of the Biden administration in relation to Black America. Dr. Amara Enya is the manager of policy and research for the Movement for Black Lives, and Montague Simmons is the director of strategic partnerships at the Movement for Black Lives. Thanks to both of you for coming on the show. Thank you. Good morning, Nana. Good morning. Thank you so much. So, you know, I, I talk a lot about how Black folks put this administration into power. South Carolina was critical. Before South Carolina, Biden was dead in the water. Um, mm-hmm. South Carolina is where he was able to make his push. And then they made everyone go, you know, step back. Black folks risk COVID, attacked by white supremacists, mm-hmm. really pushed the issue. You know, I don't even know, 90% of us or something voting um, for the Democrats. Uh, we were described by Biden himself as those who brung him to the dance. I'm using his terms. Um, two years in, looking at the issues that were most critical to Black people, voting rights, uh, freedom from racial violence, mm. list goes on and on. Where is the Biden administration? What, what can we say um, about where we are two years in to this administration's term? Mm. Um, Amara, are you okay if I start and then hand over? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, good morning. Yeah, again, Montega Simmons, I lead strategic partnerships for the Movement for Black Lives. Um, yeah, I mean, to your point, like with what you named earlier and specifically for your audience, uh, we got to remember when we're talking about Black folks, that we're not talking about a monolithic uh, conversation about who we are. There was a lot of segments of the Black community who really were excited about Joe Biden, uh, both as Obama, Obama's VP, as Uncle Joe, working class hero. Uh, he was going to fight back the darkness that was represented by Trump. But for us in movement and a lot of folks across the Black movement, uh, we actually said, wait a minute, 94 crime bill, Joe? <laughs> Clarence Thomas Champion, Joe. Um, I mean, it ain't so. Yeah, I mean, but there's always been a contradiction around who he is and specifically how he showed up or did not show up for us. Um, but movement, as you named, literally got in formation. And despite him like not being our candidate, we educated, activated, mobilized people to the streets. We faced off of uh, violence literally looming in our voting places, in our communities, and continue to stand up and show up. And like, I'll say most salient for me in terms of like this specific moment coming out of 2022, the year with a record high number of police killings also showed a record high number of police funding. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. yeah, and mm-hmm. in terms of like all the issues he was fighting around, uh, democracy and voting literally got pushed to the bottom of the list. Um, and not, it's not to name that the threat has been abated, but it's also just naming the real contradiction in terms of who this person is and who he always has been. Uh, and for our community to look at this with very clear eyes around like who is normally being sacrificed, whose issues are literally being sublimated um, in order for him to be able to walk out a success. Um, I, I'll stop there and hand it to Mara. 
Montega, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially with regard to our need uh, to be to have clear eyes and uh, to really understand what it is that we're facing, what it is that we're up against. Uh, many of the dynamics in the last election uh, centered on the need to remove uh, President Trump and that Biden was the only alternative. Uh, which is always a dangerous, um, it's always a dangerous framing of the situation because what it meant is, yes, he was certainly not the, you know, the he didn't come out of movement. He certainly didn't come out of, you know, our, our organizing efforts until and except for the work to really get out the vote because of what the alternative presented. But as Montega said, he's always been pretty clear about who he was. I mean, there was this notion that not much will really change. He wasn't coming in to be radically different. He was coming in at a time when the, the bar was so low as to be pretty much everyone except the alternative. And that's just not, um, it's, it's not a strategy that is going to lead to the kinds of change, fundamental changes that we know have to happen. And so what that's meant for us over the last couple of years is we've had to be, we've had to really keep the pressure on. Uh, as Montega said, looking at the amount of police funding over the last couple of years, looking at how uh, policing, even now in election cycles, whether in the midterms and now there are a lot of municipals happening, this issue of you know police being the solution to public safety is constantly being pushed. Um, we've seen legislation, even at the at the federal level, that didn't truly reflect what we knew need to happen in terms of transformative change, but this notion of, well, you know, this is what we can get, right? This is the best we can do, or we have to understand what's happening in the Senate and what's happening in the House. Um, and so that is very disappointing. And, and it really is actually a challenge because when it comes time for elections, again, galvanizing people around this sort of milk toast agenda is incredibly hard. And that's when it always comes down to Black folks going out, doing the organizing to get out the vote. But there has to be something to, to rally people around and to galvanize them. And incrementalism and milk toast, this is the best we can get, or things will fundamentally stay the same, is just not an effective mechanism to galvanizing people to come out uh, during the election and even after the election. We're not going to galvanize around Juneteenth. We got Juneteenth, y'all. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, wanting to think um, and to talk about what I see as this real reliance when you're talking, um, Amara, about, you know, relying on organizations, relying on movement. And I see that as what this administration has done. It has literally taken the responsibilities of government in pressing these issues and pass those responsibilities on to our organizations. You want voting rights? Okay, Black organizations that are working on voting rights, you do the push for it. We're not going to send the DOJ to sue the, you know, snot out of all of these different um, states and municipalities. We're going to make you do that. You want my immigration rights for Black people? No problem. We're going to have you organizations go ahead and do that. We'll fight you every step of the way, but you go for that. Um, reproductive rights, where's Sister Song and these other, you know, organizations, the Black Women for Wellness in Los Angeles, we're going to make you jump in and do it, but we're not going to take responsibility. How do we build power in that um, space, Manteca? How do we 
when we're really being used on the one hand and on the other hand, this is work we've been doing before they came along. And this is work we're going to do until we win. How do we balance that or, or maneuver in that scenario? I think you're right to name it for what it is. It's a failure, not only of government, but a failure of leadership. Um, when they're literally not taking responsibility for what they can do in terms of wielding power. Uh, from our end, we've always actually hope, put our hope not in power in their offices, but in power of the people. Uh, organizing and our people are literally our only salvation. Um, like, I think we're going to do what we do as organizers. We're going to continue to address the needs. The challenge for us is to continue to make sure that we're working together. Uh, like, I do want to name, like, the only thing I think... Um, that, that, that we didn't cover as deeply as we should is that part of what we've seen him do is also like push us in a wedge. Like some folks are getting not only attention, but resources um, where other segments of the movement are not. Like even though courts are pushing back on uh, rolling back the, the, the student debt, he's finding ways to still cancel student loans in order to abate uh, folks that have been adding significant pressure. Same thing on climate. Um, and even though like right now, like everyone's under pressure around reproductive justice, they're opening doors in ways that they're not on other discussions. So it's important on our end as folks that are actually deeply embedded in the movement to stay in contact with, in conversation with each other. Our strategies have to lean on each other because we're, we have to activate our communities together. Um, and again, I don't think our salvation is in DC. Our salvation's on the block uh, and making sure that we're actually still in clear and open conversation with folks so they know what their own power is, not only when it comes to November 2024, but day in, day out in terms of the choices they're making and where we're actually investing our energies. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about the ways in which people working together are keeping these fires lit in spite of all of the pushback, particularly as we talk about issues relating to policing, um, relating to abolition, Amara, you know, you raise this as um, something that is clearly back, on, you know, on the block. I think they just had a press, co- not a press conference, but a press piece with um, Mayor uh, Eric One Term Adams. Got to keep that nickname in there and make it so. Um, Mayor Bass uh, here in Los Angeles, and I believe it might it was either Lightfoot or another black mayor. Um, and one of their theme songs, they all share, they may have had differences, but one of their theme songs for sure was, we don't want to hear no more about defund the police and policing is the way and public safety is the way. And I think some people are feeling a little defeated about that. Orgs in the Movement for Black Lives ecosystem are still pushing. Share some um, hope with, for us, please, Amara, on what people are doing to continue pushing on that issue. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of work happening. And and I think the other mayor was uh, Sylvester Turner from Houston. Uh, yes, Lori, yes. Lori, hopefully one term Lightfoot certainly uh, wasn't in that group. But, you know, we we are doing our best uh, over in this neck of the woods to to make sure that it is one term. Um, what you're seeing is in a lot of the largest cities, which do happen to be led by Black people, you've seen that increase in investment in policing. I know in Chicago, we raised, we increased the budget for policing. It's now about $2 billion uh, a year, um, while failing to address the issues that actually impact uh, public safety, the kinds of investments in our communities. And so the conversations that are being had and the work that organizations are doing on ground 
is talking to people in our neighborhoods about what safety actually means and what we are entitled to, which is not just police and police infrastructure, which seems to be the only investments that our communities receive, but it is actually housing. It is in uh, in our ability to open up our own businesses. It's in financial investment in our neighborhoods. It's investing in our schools. And when you have those conversations with the people who live in the neighborhood, you begin to unpack what they mean when they want safety. And it's it never boils down to just police. Uh, so our organizations... Um, throughout the country are doing that work. They're having those conversations. There are a number of initiatives around uh, looking into city budgets and really looking under the hood to understand how the money is actually being allocated. And there's been a lot of great work that's happening exposing how resources that should be going into, into our communities are not going into our communities and pushes campaigns around reallocating funding. There have also been an ongoing many organizations across the country that have looked into the federal dollars that came through ARPA, um, uh, the ARPA funds, which in some instances initially, a lot of mayors were just using those federal dollars that was supposed to help people during COVID and putting them into policing. Well, there are many organizations that have exposed the process, that have demanded transparency, and that are putting input into how those federal dollars are allocated in their neighborhood. So the, in spite of the challenges, this kind of work is forcing governments, particularly at the local level, municipal level, to be transparent. And it is forcing conversations around reallocation that actually reflect what our communities say when they say safety or when they, they're looking at investment and what it takes to build strong, uh, safe communities. And so thinking about the work that's happening in our communities, but also um, the conversation about cross-movement work um, that also seems to be coming up a lot. What are some of the strategies or thinkings that we have as we look forward over the next couple of years in terms of what that cross-movement strategic partnerships, what they need to look like? Yeah, the way I'm thinking about it, especially for 2023 and 24. Like a lot of our work, as you named, is not just electoral, but based on what Amara just set out, like a lot of it needs to be deep rooted conversations in our community, um, meaning not just the door to door organizing, but deep popular education conversations like people are afraid. We, we can't deny that people are not only afraid, people are hungry, people are displaced because of shrinking housing stock. Uh, people are afraid because of the increased cost of food. And there are roots. We can actually talk people through how we got to this moment and make it clear before the, before the elections literally take over our airwaves uh, where and how these crises develop. And I think the challenge for us has always been to make sure that conversations around our own demand don't get sublimated for other things. Um, part, that's part of the importance of making sure that we're working in cross-movement spaces so that we're actually building deep value alignment, like it's important for us to live in communities that that do have climate justice, that do have economic justice and have uh, not only living wages, but the ability for folks to be able to thrive. And that means access to not only healthcare, but reproductive justice. Um, those things are connected. And if we're bringing and talking about like what it is to live a full 
uh, life, a whole life, and bring our whole self to these spaces, we have to build and hold these conversations with folks so they recognize it and they know what we're talking about um, and not just in movement terms. Often I think we do get caught using our own terminology, um, but a lot of our investments will have to go to the ground and make sure we're actually talking to people in the language that they understand. They have remedies, they understand it, they see it day to day. Uh, we just have to make space to be in conversation with them. Absolutely. You know, we talk at Baji's like, can you explain this to your grandmother in your native tongue? If you can't translate white supremacist, heteropatriarchal capitalist into your native tongue directly, you got to figure it out because exactly this is what we've got to do. In our last minute, um, before I ask you to let folks know how they can get down with M4DL, really wanted to have a little piece on this global level, right? An international pressure, because that's also always been a part of Black liberation movements all over the world, bringing it to the global stage. And so what impact, you know, does that seem like something that we need to be doing over the next couple of years, Amara, and what impact might that have? We absolutely need to be doing it a lot more um, over the next couple of years. And frankly, a lot of the organizing is happening and a lot of the awareness raising is happening. There are parallel movements and parallel work that's happening, whether on the continent in Africa and Central and South America and the Caribbean, where people are coming together because they're recognizing the patterns of uh, this, these pathological systems that have caused harm. They're recognizing the similarities and they're also recognizing um, shared power, shared resources and shared agendas. So what's that, what that's causing is global um, strategic collaborations that are happening, particularly with people of African descent, uh, with Africans and people of African descent around the world. And so we have to tap into that and we have to continue to build on that because none of us is operating in an island and the systems of, of oppression are global. They're not just local. Thank you so very much. I'm sorry, I got to cut off before they hurt me. But again, thank you. Thank you so much, Amara. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mantega. Thank you for coming on, sharing your brilliance with us. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much.